Welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for Play in Politics, this partnership between the Star Tribune Editorial Board and WCCO Radio. Patricia Lopez and John Rash here from the uh, Star Tribune. Chad Hartman here, CCO. All right, Patricia, let's start with Keith and Kim Ellison. Mm. As we talk here on Wednesday, the divorce records were unsealed today. The paper joined another outlet yes, in Alpha pursuing News. this, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure the editorial board doesn't always agree with everything the rest of the paper does. It's di- right. diverse Right, and we opinions. were not party to that you were decision. Not party. Right. Did you philosophically agree with that? Was there enough other information, namely the Karen Monahan allegations, where you felt like the divorce records should have been made available? Well, the allegations by themselves don't really... It, you know, they don't really resolve anything because they're allegations. And the one um, piece that might, the video, is something that uh, Monaghan will, uh, will not release. So I think in that case, you know, yes, you turn to something like divorce records. It's, it's never a first course because it's all of their personal stuff. Uh, our understanding is that Congressman Ellison asked the judge to do a limited release, just right. anything in reference to what, abuse. What did you think of that? You know, I mean, that's putting a lot of trust in the judge to make that kind of decision. Uh, I think the judge probably decided he didn't want to go that way, and it's easier to just seal or unseal, and he opted to unseal. And what we found uh, so far, and I have not read through the records myself, I'm going through on the reports that I've seen, is that there uh, are allegations uh, of abuse, but they're by Keith Ellison against his wife, who was yeah. suffering from both um, multiple sclerosis and depression. And he has since issued a statement that says that, um, you know, they had a wonderful marriage and that he regrets that he was not more uh, aware of how her illness might have affected um, their relationship. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair assessment. Just yeah. to be clear again, John, it was Keith Ellison continuing that Kim Ellison had harmed him. So where does this story go from here in a race that appears to be very competitive because maybe how divisive some people viewed the congressman before and also because of the reporting on the the Karen Monahan allegations? Indeed, public opinion polls, including from the Star Tribune, suggest that this is a real tight race and this probably won't break it in any distinct direction. This has become a defining dynamic in the entire race. And so as uncomfortable as it is to have someone's divorce records unsealed, it's perhaps germane to the overall narrative of what's going on with this incredibly important seat of attorney general. So I think that because nothing that came out of these divorce records suggests any domestic abuse on the part of Representative Ellison himself, that this will at minimum, not amplify this as an issue, and if anything, might make voters turn towards the really sharp differences between Doug Wardlow, the GOP-endorsed candidate, and Representative Ellison, the okay. DFLer. And if they start looking at those issues, that might have more of a bearing on the race than this ongoing the ongoing allegations by Karen Monahan. Let's switch to uh, Karen Housley, the Republican senatorial candidate against Tina Smith. Huffington Post, potentially with a tip from the Smith campaign. We can speculate on that. It wouldn't shock any of us, but we don't have proof of that. 
There's, uh, there's lots of oppo research that could oh, unearth yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know both sides were doing oppo research months and months and months ago. And sometimes— oh, and, and interest groups, too. Yes. They all do it now. And sometimes they time it. This is a Facebook post when Karen Housley was not an elected official, was commenting on the Obamas meeting with uh, the Queen, and made a comment about Michelle Obama, uh, first about don't put your hands on the Queen, and then her posture, then mentioned that she missed the Reagans, more Ronald, but then made a comment about Michelle Obama and tied it to Ronald Reagan's movie Bedtime for Bonzo. and that A the, really old, old movie, by yes, the way. Yes, exactly. That the chimp would have had better posture than the first lady. I will be clear that I was very direct in my criticism of Karen Housley. I don't know enough about Karen Housley to suggest that she's a racist. I don't know enough about that there's a pattern. But this comment brought out an old negative, disgusting stereotype about African-Americans mm-hmm. and apes and chimpanzees. And I don't care if you're an elected official or not to act like that this was a joke and people shouldn't be outraged at all. I, I disagree. I, I found it very insulting. What, what was needed was an apology. Even if it was nine years ago, yep, uh, she can go ahead and maintain that it wasn't racist, you know. But you apologize for that because comparing a black woman to a chimpanzee is never going to be appropriate. There is no context that makes that appropriate ever. And by the way, John, you chime in this too, because we we talked about this a lot the other day when a number of white callers and texters said, "I've been calling my kids little monkeys or making comparisons." It just isn't the same thing. Nope. I mean, let's not be that naive. Nobody is saying that some phrases, some people can be overly sensitive. This has been thrown at African-Americans for decades and decades and decades, including the first ever African-American president and first lady. Say, and at the Obamas in particular. Correct. And you're quite right. The cultural context is distinctly different. And that's something that, you know, everyone of a certain age and by that you know, coming of age, most people now realize. So, you know, yes, some people will look at it and say it's a nine-year-old Facebook post and it doesn't have relevance to the race. But I concur with my colleague Patricia that an apology would have put it in its proper context and explanation as well. And instead, you had more countercharges about the Democrats and, you know, their desperate campaign tactics. And it became political, and I think that was a missed opportunity. And, the, and that's what drives the story, by the way. I, I mean, the, way, the quickest way to end it is to say, you know what, that was a private string between me and, you know, some family and friends that never was intended to be public. I deeply apologize for that. It was inappropriate. Why, why don't more politicians do that? I because I, I've, been, I've been pointing my criticisms towards Keith Ellison. I yeah. think Keith Ellison has avoided many media outlets on a regular basis answering questions. So we see this more and more where when there's a controversy, let's put out a statement. Let's try to be really quiet for two, three days and hopefully something else. Yeah, Yeah. blame the other side. Something else will pop up. It's it's very odd because, you know, my experience has been the public loves to forgive. You give a heartfelt apology and, you know, frankly, you can get away with just about anything. Right. What do you think, John? That when... They also, when sometimes when they apologize, it's not for the act itself, but it, they might apologize if people have been offended, and that's a dodge in, in its own right. And so I concur that I think that, you know, more frequent apologies, because everyone is human and, and everyone can imagine if their life was so closely examined, 
but I think that that would move a lot of these issues down. But you're right, and, and it's on you know, both sides, candidates yes. at all levels, all the way certainly up <clears throat> to the president of the United States. Okay, the president. Let's talk about two issues with the president. Let's talk about the most significant, uh, what happened in Jamal Shikogi. It was Khashoggi, excuse me. Clearly he was, he did not leave that building. To me and others, it seems like the evidence is overwhelming that he was murdered, that there are more recordings, that there's more evidence, that it's clear that top people from Saudi Arabia were involved. I mean, Lindsey Graham. Who it was, was inside the consulate. That, right. that's, you're not going to have rogue killers inside the consulate. Correct. Lindsey Graham, who has become an enormous defender of the president. Yeah. It's like you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure this out, that there is, has to be significant punishment, that he, he doesn't want our country to do what the crown prince. The president, as he does so often, when it's an ally, when it's a supporter. A certain kind of ally. Yeah, uh, normally male, um, defends no matter what. And we're seeing that defense now. Now he's playing a little bit both ways in 60 minutes, severe punishment, but now he's going with the guilty before innocence. I know he's trying to build up and continue that Saudi Arabia alliance, especially when the sanctions are about to get stronger with Iran. But is this one where he's just going to get usurped by Congress? You know, this. I, I think what was most telling was Secretary of State Pompeo's visit over there where he was publicly, you know, there are ways to conduct those kind of visits. First of all, it's questionable whether you would want to send an emissary uh, to the country that is under this kind of accusation. Um, there's that. But he sent the Secretary of State. They could have had a private meeting. Pompeo could have addressed it afterward. Instead, they have a public, you know, grip and grin, both of them smiling, both of them, you know, talking about their strong alliance. It seemed to me thoroughly inappropriate um, to the situation. And then this over-concern about, uh, you know, the arms deal. It, it really looks like the United States is kind of carrying water for this country that is under this horrific uh, allegation, and I, I find it uh, just, you know, kind of loathsome, really. John, is this is this another area where administration after administration continues to look the other way at Saudi Arabia because we have so few allies in the Middle East outside of Israel? I mean, even going back to nine eleven, what took place, and whether we want to go back to H. W. Bush, Bill Clinton, W. Obama that this has been going on, and now here's this, a resident of our country who is a reporter for the Washington Post, walks into a building, and by all accounts now is murdered, tortured, butchered, and we're accepting some of these nonsensical explanations so far. Yes, for many, many years we have put our interests above our values, and I think that you know, from a bipartisan basis that's something that long ago should have stopped. That being said... The crown prince is a special case in in himself in the respect that since he has become the de facto day-to-day ruler after being um, tabbed by his father, uh, King Solomon, you know, he has led, according to our own State Department, unlawful killings and torture and arbitrary arrests and detention. He has led a reckless, indiscriminate bombing campaign in Yemen that has amplified a humanitarian catastrophe that may become one of the world's worst problems quite quickly here. He has detained, if not kidnapped, the Lebanese prime minister, and after getting away with all of that, he probably thought very little about the potential consequences of what clearly seemed to have happened to the journalist. And so I think that it's up to Congress, and very encouragingly on a bipartisan basis, they seem to really be pressing the president to not accept 
these explanations at face value and to potentially sanction them. And then finally, I think a real compelling component of this entire case is the role that Turkey is playing. Turkey was on the outs with the West, with the United right. States in particular, and they are the ones who are holding the Saudis' feet to the fire, and they may keep this from being whitewashed because they keep selectively releasing information where it'll be politically impossible for President Trump, no matter how much he wants to go forward with an armament deal as well as sanctions on Iran where he needs Saudi Arabian cooperation, he may not be able to do all of that based on what Turkey is doing. So that's an underplayed component of this story that I think a lot of people should watch. There's a, there's another distinction here, too, and that is this is a president who has not hesitated to turn his full fury on other U.S. allies, Canada, Mexico, uh, European countries, regularly. And yet, right now towards to, Honduras, when individuals right. who are facing torture, no food, mm-hmm. looking to come to this country legally, as yes. is led, already warning those countries, because that's the type of country the president has decided we don't need. Right. We're not a beacon anymore in his yeah. eyes. You know. Um, um, so let's get to another point here on the president. The president wins a legal victory against Michael Avenatti and Stormy Daniels regarding defamation. <clears throat> and as usual, he doesn't rise above. <laughs> he goes to the nine-year-old card and calling Stormy Daniels horseface. Gracious. She returns with the eight-year-old response, calling him tiny. And is, we all know what that's in reference yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Is, is this just another day? It, unfortunately, it is. It shouldn't be. Um, you would hope that the president would rise above you know, just for once, um, and not resort to the lowest common denominator. Unfortunately, it, it, for him in particular, this fits a pattern, a long pattern of denigrating women um, their at, looks. at every opportunity based on mm-hmm. uh, based on their looks, their age. Um, he never seems to pass up an opportunity to yeah. be dismissive of them. And that, that, is, that is far more disturbing than just the single comment. Does it hurt him with his supporters in any way, John? It doesn't appear to public opinion polls show that they, you know, have put this into the calculus. When they have specifically asked his supporters in many polls if they wish he would tweet less, that is one aspect that many Trump supporters say, yes, absolutely, they wish he'd push down the phone. But in terms of turning away from the president in terms of support or towards the Democrats, that doesn't seem to be changing at all. I got to jump in right there. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. This again, Plain Politics with John Rash and Patricia Lopez with the Star Tribune.